0: So we're coming to the end of Luke's gospel today. And whenever an author is finishing a book he's been laboring on, like the gospel of Luke, he's very intentional about what he puts at the end, because that's what he wants you to walk away with. That's like the big takeaway message. And so the question I want us to ask this afternoon is, what does Luke emphasize as he wraps up his gospel? What does he want us to leave with? And to help us answer that from this last passage, let's, we're going to put a picture of the passage up on the screen. Luke 24, 36-53. Now there's three main sections. There we go. Three main sections. On the far left, verses 36-38, to 38, Jesus is going to appear to his disciples. But when he does, he's going to find that they are frightened and doubting and thinking, Jesus is just a spirit. This is just a spirit before us. He didn't really rise from the dead physically. So that's the first section on the far left. Then jump over to the far right. At the end of this passage, verses 52 to 53, we will see the disciples have been transformed. They are now worshiping the resurrected Christ with great joy and are continually in the temple blessing, praising God. So the question is, what happened between these two sections? What did Jesus do to see these disciples transformed from being frightened and doubting into worshiping with great joy? Because what Jesus does for these disciples to strengthen them and free them from their doubt and their fears is what Jesus will also do for us when we are battling doubts and fears. This is where Luke ends his gospel. So with that in mind, let's dig into this passage. Now here's some background. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he taught very clearly to his disciples that the time would come when he would be arrested, would be crucified, horribly killed, but then three days later, as we sang, he will rise from the dead. Jesus taught this throughout his earthly ministry, and that's exactly what happened. On the previous Friday, Jesus had been crucified, horribly killed, died. And in so doing, he was paying for all the sins. He was being punished for all the sins of everyone who will trust him as their Savior, as their Lord, as their treasure. By dying, he paid for the sins. So he died just as he said he would. But then three days later, on Sunday, he rose from the dead physically. Now, some of the disciples, though, at first we see, like from last week's passage, two of the disciples had not really understood Jesus' teaching about being crucified and dying. And and they thought that the Messiah was going to be the conqueror of Rome. They thought that the Messiah would bring Israel into a place of peace and security and stability forever. And they were hoping that Jesus was going to be that Messiah. But then, of course, when Jesus was crucified, they were devastated. And they were so discouraged and so hopeless, they packed up and they were leaving Jerusalem, heading north, maybe heading to their hometown, called Emmaus. And in their grief, in their unbelief, when Jesus appears to them and starts walking with them, they they can't recognize who he is. They're so overwhelmed with discouragement. And Jesus in great love and patience, opens up the scriptures to them, like we saw last week. Show them that the Messiah would die. Show them that the Messiah would rise again on the third day physically. And those scriptures lit a fire of flame in their hearts. Just lit that. Their faith started to grow and grow and rise until finally when Jesus is distributing bread to them at a meal, their eyes are open and they say, it's real. You are Jesus. You are the Messiah. This is what this is all about. Death and resurrection. You're here. And so they went back to the disciples in Jerusalem and told them what they'd experienced. And that brings us up to today's passage. Where we want to ask this question. Why are the disciples still so troubled and doubtful? They're still troubled and doubtful, as we're going to see. Look at verses 36 through thirty-eight, As they were talking about these things, describing what had happened on the road to Emmaus, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, why were they troubled and frightened? There's probably a couple of answers, but the one that Luke focuses on, the one that Jesus focuses on here, is the fact that they thought Jesus was just a spirit. Just a spirit. Notice that Jesus, Luke says, stood among them, which sounds like he just suddenly appeared. That's the language here. And do you remember how last week we saw that Jesus suddenly vanished from those two disciples who were with him on the road to Emmaus? So what's going on here is that Jesus has a resurrected body, a new resurrected body. Now it's him, but it's been changed. It's even more real than his old body was, and as we've seen It can appear, it can vanish. In some of the other gospels, he can pass through doors. We don't understand how that all works. But this is his physical, even more real, resurrected body. And so when he suddenly appears among these disciples, they're thinking, this must just be a spirit. Because we can't just appear. It's just his spirit. And now understand, if this was just Jesus' spirit, then that means he wasn't raised physically. And if he wasn't raised from the dead physically, then that changes everything. Everything. It means that he did not fulfill the Old Testament prophecies, which said that the Messiah would rise from the dead, which means he is not the Messiah. If this is just his spirit, if he wasn't raised physically. Not only that, what he had taught them about rising from the dead on the third day It was a lie, because he hadn't risen from the dead. Just his spirit was there. Also, if his body was still dead in the tomb, that would mean that the curse of sin was still on him, on his body. The punishment was still there. He hadn't been raised from the dead yet, showing that God had accepted his sacrifice. So that means that we couldn't have any assurance that our sins are all paid for, because the curse of death was still upon his body. So if Jesus was just there as a spirit, if he hadn't been raised from the dead physically, then that changes everything. That's the main reason the disciples were frightened and troubled. So let's ask, how does Jesus help them? Just like we saw last week, he helped the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. So in this passage, he helps all these disciples here, including those who are on the road to Emmaus. They're all there frightened and troubled. How does Jesus help them? Four ways. First, Jesus gives them evidence of his physical resurrection. Verses 39 and 40, look at what he says. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. See, look, touch me and see For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. This is so powerful. Jesus says, look, look at my hands, my nail pierced hands. Yes, they're healed. There's just scars there, but look at the scars. Look at my nail pierced feet. This is me. Look at me. I have flesh and bones. Spirits don't have flesh and bones. So Jesus gives them evidence. Look at me. Touch me. Imagine you were one of these disciples and you're, you're looking and you're touching him. There's, there's bones here. There's flesh here. This isn't just a spirit. Very powerful. And it's Jesus. Nail pierced hands and feet. But there's more. Verses 41 to 43, there's more evidence. Verse 41, while they still disbelieved for joy. So they're they're getting closer here. They're disbelieving for joy. They're marveling like, could it be? Can it really be Jesus? He said to them, okay, have you anything here to eat? Give him an even more powerful demonstration. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Picture this. He asks for a piece of fish and he eats it. This shows that Jesus was not just a spirit. His appearing, them all thinking they saw him. This wasn't a hallucination. See, because one Bible commentator said this, you can't touch a hallucination, can you? Hallucinations don't eat fish. This is not what happens. You're seeing him, you're touching him, you're watching him eat the fish, Jesus gives them evidence that he was raised from the dead physically. This is beautiful how Jesus does that. But that's not all that he does. Second, Jesus shows them prophecies of his death, his resurrection, and prophecies of the call to evangelism. This is verses 44 to 48. Start with verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that means the whole Testament, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now now pause there. Last week we saw how Jesus showed Old Testament prophecies to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Old Testament prophecies, which were written at least 700 years before Jesus was there. 700 years earlier, at least, was when these prophecies were written about the Messiah. And the Old Testament prophecies written at least 700 years before show that the Messiah would die, be killed, and physically rise from the dead. So last week he did that with the two disciples, but now he's there with all the disciples, and he shows all of the disciples these scriptures, these Old Testament prophecies. So I shared with you some last week that he might have shared with the two on the road to Emmaus. Let me share with you two more. One about Jesus, the Messiah, dying, and one about him rising. First of all, about Jesus dying. He might have opened up to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. This is a powerful passage. The, The Messiah, when you read this passage closely, you'll see that the Messiah is speaking these words. Zechariah 12, 10. Listen to what he says. And I will pour out on the house of David... And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, prayers for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child who's been killed, or weep and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn who's been killed. This is the prophet, this is the Prophecy about the Messiah and what he's saying. And notice that the Messiah is going to be pierced, killed. Old Testament prophecy, hundreds of years before. The Messiah is going to be pierced, killed. And there will come a time when Israel will mourn for what they've done. But notice this makes it clear the messiah will be pierced he will be killed and that's what happened to jesus when the roman soldiers thrust a spear into his side to make sure that he was dead he was pierced so again an old testament prophecy showing that the messiah would be killed imagine the a disciple struggling with that there it is in the old testament Here's an Old Testament prophecy which taught that the Messiah would rise from the dead. Jesus might have shared with them Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. Earlier in Isaiah 53, we hear about, surely it was for our griefs that he was punished, our sins that he suffered. But look at what we read in Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him to punish him, to punish the Messiah for our sins, to kill him. Again, understand, this is how we can be forgiven by God. This is the only way we can be forgiven by God, is that everyone who puts their trust in Jesus, all of their sins are punished in Jesus, so we don't we don't owe any more punishment for our sins. All those of you who are trusting Jesus Christ, all of your sins have been punished in Jesus, so you are completely forgiven. Beautiful. So, It was the will of the Lord to crush him for that reason. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So again, the Messiah is going to be killed, crushed, paying for the guilt of the sins of all who trust him. But is that the end? Is it all over there? Not at all from this verse. After the Messiah is crushed, killed, he will see his offspring, all those he has saved, us. He will prolong his days, he will live forever, and the, God's will, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So Old Testament prophecies taught both that the Messiah would be killed and that he would rise from the dead. And think of how this would have strengthened these believers The Old Testament taught this. He was killed, and then he rose. This is Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't just want to strengthen their faith that he's the Messiah. That's crucial, and he does that. But there's something else very important that he wants them to understand. It's what does this mean for their lives? How does this change their lives? So back to verse 46 in Luke 24. Read that again. Jesus said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, when Jesus says you are witnesses of these things, what he's talking about is the fact that they have seen with their own eyes now that he was crucified and they see with their own eyes that he's right there, physically, flesh and blood, alive from the dead. You are witnesses of these things, is what Jesus is saying. You've seen what the Old Testament prophesied with your own eyes. Powerful. But then Jesus goes on to say that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in Jesus' name to all the nations. All the nations. Not just for Israel, this glorious message of forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all the people groups, every nation, every tongue, every tribe. So what prophecy did Jesus use to show them that? I think maybe it was Isaiah chapter 2, 2 and 3. Listen to what Isaiah prophesied, 700 years before Jesus. He says, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. So here's this picture. You've got all these, these mountains. You've got this religion over here and materialism over here and career over here and other religion over here and all these other things that people are pursuing. But the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of the mountains. This is truth. This is reality. This is what you were created for, knowing God through Jesus establishes the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. So all the nations, people are coming. Here's why. Because out of Zion from out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So because from Jerusalem, the good news of repentance for forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, because that will go out from Jerusalem, people from every nation, tongue, and tribe are going to be coming to Christ, salvation through Christ. The Old Testament prophesied that also, prophesied Jesus' death, prophesied Jesus' physical resurrection, and prophesied that the gospel would be preached going forth from Jerusalem, and that people from every nation, tongue, and tribe would come to faith. That's exactly what has happened and is still happening because the job isn't finished yet. There are still hundreds of people groups who have no Bible in their language, no church in their culture, who've never heard the gospel. And we live in a city where we are surrounded by people, many, many of whom have never heard the gospel, have never had somebody sit down with them, maybe don't even know a Christian, but to sit down with them and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. So the work is still to be done. It's it's advanced a long way. The gospel has spread. It's beautiful what God has done over these 2,000 years. But there's more to do. That's why he hasn't come back yet. The work is not finished. So let this Old Testament prophecy, let this stir our hearts. This is what we are here for. This is why we're not in heaven yet. But now back to these disciples. Think of how this would have encouraged them. Having Jesus open them, open their minds to these scriptures. The Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would die paying for our sins. And the Old Testament prophesied that he would rise from the dead. And the Old Testament prophesied that the gospel is going to go forward. Which means they should start proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Start proclaiming that. That sins can only be forgiven through Jesus. There's no other way. No one can make themselves good enough. Only through Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the only way to God, as he says in John fourteen six, no one can come to the Father, but through me being forgiven through my death. And they should proclaim that every other religion needs to turn to Jesus Christ. That's reality. Acts 4, 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men other than Jesus Christ by which we must be saved. This would have been very encouraging to these disciples. Whoa, okay. But I think maybe at this point, they had one other little doubt. Maybe maybe, maybe more than just little. It's like this. Okay, we're called to take the gospel out from Jerusalem, but our faith has not been very strong. Just a few minutes ago, we were troubled and trembling, thinking you were just a spirit. And the two of us who were heading the way to Emmaus, they'd totally lost hope and given up. And Peter, he had denied Christ three times. So the track record of this group of disciples wasn't very good. We're not very strong, Jesus. Where are we going to get the power to do what you're calling us to do? And look at what Jesus does next. Third, Jesus explains how they will be empowered. Empowered. He knows what they're thinking. Verse 49. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus promises to pour his Holy Spirit out upon all of them. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a moment. The Holy Spirit is a person not a force, not a power, third person of the Trinity. It's God the Father, Jesus the Messiah, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And in the, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit blessed every believer by making the presence of God real in their lives. Every believer who put their trust in God's mercy, promised in the Messiah, the Holy Spirit came upon them, made the presence of God real to them. Read read David talking in Psalm 16 and Psalm 51 and Psalm 25. But with the coming of Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit became even more powerful. Dialed up, more wattage, so he gives us, as New Testament believers, an even more powerful experience of the Father's presence. And now we also get to experience the glory of the resurrected Jesus in our hearts. Whoa! Even more wattage going on there. This is New Testament. And that's what they are to wait for here. He says, stay in Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They are already saved. I think they're experiencing whatever, the, the, the Old Testament experienced the Holy Spirit but they had not yet received the New Testament increased wattage of the Holy Spirit. and That's what they're to wait for. The Holy Spirit is going to give them such a, a heart revelation of Jesus' glory, the Father's reality, God's majesty, mercy, love, that they're going to be empowered to go and tell everybody the good news of Jesus Christ. So, what does this mean for us? Our Pentecostal brothers and sisters, some of you, glad you're here, who love Jesus, who love the Bible, they would teach that after we're saved, we also need to wait for a second experience, which is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what they would call the baptism of the Spirit. After conversion, There's a second experience of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which they would say is is marked by the gift of speaking in tongues. Now, this is an area where people who love Jesus can disagree. And I would encourage you to do your own study on this. But let me share with you my conviction. And again, you do your study. Open up the scriptures. My conviction is different than that. We, We love our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. We need to learn more from you. But here's my conviction on this point. My conviction is that the New Testament teaches that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the moment you're converted. Jot down Acts chapter 2, verse 38, with what Peter says after the day of Pentecost. Repent, and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Same gift we've just received, part of conversion. That's what happens. When you're saved, you receive the gift, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that may be accompanied with the gift of tongues, but not necessarily. Sometimes in Acts it is, sometimes it's not. Tongues is a very separate issue. The gift, the baptism of the Spirit, pouring God's love into your heart, rivers of living water, satisfying your heart, soul, beholding the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate prize. The gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you'll be clothed with power and equipped full assured your salvation knowing god ready to share the gospel with others now back to the disciples think of how hearing this would have encouraged them they've been weak they've been struggling you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you you're going to be clothed with power from on high you wait in jerusalem power is coming so they would have been we know we need power Let's go. Let's wait. Let's ask the Lord for this. One more thing the Lord does in transforming them from this place of being troubled and doubting and seeing, thinking it was just a spirit. One more thing he does. Fourth, Jesus blesses them and is carried up into heaven. Verses 50 and 51. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Just imagine that you were there. We don't know for sure what blessing he spoke over them, but I I just think maybe it was numbers 6, 24 through 26. Imagine you're one of the disciples and Jesus is stretching his hands out to you and he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And while Jesus is blessing them, he's being carried up into heaven. And you're seeing him go. Wow! Imagine that. That's what Jesus does for them. Four things. Gives them evidence of his resurrection shows them prophecies in the Old Testament of the Messiah's death and resurrection and the gospel going to all the nations. Then he promises them power in the Holy Spirit and he blesses them and is carried up into heaven. Now, how did this impact the disciples? Verses 52 to 53. And they worshiped him. You feel that, right? It's like, yes! Yes! They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Massive transformation. The beginning of this passage, they were troubled and doubting, thinking Jesus is just a spirit. There was no resurrection. But then Jesus gives them evidence. He gives them prophecies showing death resurrection of the Messiah, the gospel spreading. He explains how they're going to be empowered and he blesses them and is carried into heaven. And this transforms them. They are worshiping the resurrected Jesus with great joy and are continually in the temple blessing God. They've been transformed. Now, what does this mean for us? We are just like these disciples, aren't we? We all have times when we are troubled, frightened, doubting, right? Believers do have times like that. I do, you do. We can doubt that Jesus really rose from the dead. We can doubt that Jesus really is the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. We can doubt that our sins really can be forgiven through Jesus. We can wonder about that. We can doubt that we're really supposed to proclaim Jesus to all other religions. We can wonder about that. We can doubt that Jesus can make us strong enough to do the things he's called us to do. We're just like these disciples. We can doubt just like they did. And Luke wants us to understand that when we do, Jesus is right there, ready to help. He's not walking away. He's right there, ready to help you, help me. So here's my encouragement to you. When you find yourself doubting, being troubled, being frightened, along these lines, stop and pray and ask Jesus to help you. Jesus, look at me, I'm doubting. I'm, help me. Come to him with your doubts. Come to him with your questions. His arms are open wide. Come to him and ask Jesus to help you. And then go along these four steps that Jesus just did with these disciples. Look at the evidence that we have. Jesus showed them evidence of his resurrection. Look at the evidence that we have. We do not have Jesus here physically with us. Can't see his hands. You can't feel his flesh and bones. You Can't watch him eat some fish. But we do have historical eyewitness accounts of those who were there when this happened. We have that. So open up the scriptures. Look at the historical eyewitness evidence that we have. And as you do that... The Holy Spirit will use those scriptures to strengthen your faith, build you up in trusting him, knowing that you rose from the dead. You are the Savior. You are the only Savior. We must tell everybody about you. You'll see that. And second, read scriptures that speak to your specific doubts. Read scriptures about them. When you prayerfully open up God's word and read scriptures that deal with the areas that you're struggling with, And you ask for God's help. The Holy Spirit will come. And through the word. Paul says faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Faith rises when you hear the word of God. Faith grows when you open up the scriptures. So if your faith is low. What do you need to do? Hear the scriptures. Prayerfully hear the scriptures. Your faith will grow. It will strengthen. That's second. Third. Ask for fresh power from the Holy Spirit. See, because you are trusting Jesus, you've already received the gift, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but don't think you've received all that Jesus wants to give you. None of us has. He has more for us. Ask him more power, fresh outpouring of your spirit, Fill me afresh, Lord. Paul commands us, be filled with the Spirit. Lord, fill me. Scripture, worship, prayer, fill me with your Spirit. He will pour out more and more. If you then who are evil, Jesus said, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will my Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? He will. He has more. Ask for fresh power from the Holy Spirit. And then fourth, Think of him in heaven, blessing and praying for you. The scriptures teach that Jesus is at the right hand of God, interceding for us in heaven, praying for us in heaven. That's happening right now. So think of him pleading for strength for you, for fresh faith for you, for boldness for you. Think about him doing that for comfort for you, for encouragement for you, for strength for you. That's what he's doing for you in heaven, by name, right now. That's what he's doing. Your Savior is praying for you. And oh, the Father loves to answer his son's requests. So let that encourage you. As you take these steps, Jesus, just like he transformed the disciples in Luke 24, Jesus will also transform you. Let's stand. I want to pray this for us. What an amazing note Luke ends his gospel on. Transformed disciples, full of faith, worshiping the resurrected Christ with great joy, continually in the temple, blessing God. Oh Lord, thank you. This is where the gospel of Luke leaves us worshiping you with great joy blessing God ready to take the gospel from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth Lord work this in grace church tonight more I pray pour out your spirit upon us Lord here in grace church we ask oh Lord you know we can become weak we can struggle we can doubt Lord pour out your grace upon us as we see the evidence of the scriptures as we find scriptures that deal with our specific doubts, as we ask you for more power in the Holy Spirit, as we think about you interceding for us, Jesus, transform us, O oh Lord, for the glory of your name here in this city, for the spread of the gospel here from Abu Dhabi to the nations. Pour out your grace, Lord. Transform us like you did these disciples, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.